Well, hopefully your pants still fit after Thursday. We're not going to talk about what notch your belt buckle is on. That's fine. Hopefully you got to spend some time with people that you love, people that you care about. It's oftentimes... Thanksgiving is a time we, we, we look back, and we have, many of us have fond memories of times that came before, of times that were past. Um, my grandmother is 99, and as she says, Lord willing, she'll turn 100 in February. Um, still lives alone, still cooks all of our Thanksgiving meals that we'll let her cook. I have taken the turkey, but it's just because I like deep fried turkey now. And I would not, she couldn't lift the turkey into the fryer. So we're not, it's fine, it's fine. But for her, Thanksgiving evokes memories. Grew up on the cotton farm. Uh, my grandfather was a cotton farmer, my father was a cotton farmer. And for her, Thanksgiving was a day when everyone gathered together for lunch. But after lunch, it was back to the field. Because this is harvesting season on years that you have a crop. It's weird going home on years like this because there was no crop. When you don't have rain at the right times, the cotton just won't grow. And this was one of those years. And so dust everywhere, dirt everywhere. It's a very different situation unless guys have good water and good irrigation. But we would have lunch together and then we would have dinner on the tailgate. We would go to where everybody was with different fields and that was her memory And for her, that's why Thanksgiving is her absolute favorite, because it was her life. Uh, For all the years, uh, the 49 years that her and my grandfather were married before he passed away. So going home evokes all those feelings and memories for me too. But as I look back on the last, you know, 10 years of my life, and probably the last time that I stood here on a Sunday morning and did this, my life looks very different than it did the last time I stood here. And oftentimes when we examine our lives and look at our own lives, we have a path that we think our life is supposed to travel, that it's going to travel, that we put pieces in place to make sure that happens. And yet life does not always go the way we plan. And we're entering into a season where it's easy to become distracted by every single thing around us. This is a, there's a lot of pressure in just this time we call the holiday season. Pressure to cram in all the Christmassy things. Pressure to make sure you have a, a party for your family, a party for your friends, a party for your work friends. Because you can't combine the two, so you've got to have separate parties for all the different people in your life. Make sure you go to all the, all the holiday lighting events. And, and when I say this, I will go to every holiday light park there is. I will drive to Dallas to drive 15 minutes. I will pay money. To drive 15 minutes through Christmas lights. So I'm pointing the finger squarely back at myself. But it is easy for our focus to be misplaced and misguided this time of year. So I want to talk about this phrase this morning that you see on the screen behind me. And it may not <clears throat> make sense. It's not, in fact, phrase is not a word that we use much anymore. But I want to introduce this idea. And my guess is that as we kind of work our way through it, We'll, we'll all come to realize that on one level or another, another, that's a very relatable statement. Oftentimes in my life, so I, I, won't, I won't speak for anybody else, I'll just speak for myself, even though I feel like this is a very relatable thing. I have lived under the illusion that there's always something just a little bit better right around the corner. That 
There's something that's coming, and, and that, that's when it'll really matter. There's something that matters at least, at the very least, more than what I'm doing right now. Right? So there's something around the corner that's going to, that's what will make the difference in my life. It's that thing that I desire. It's that thing I've been working toward. It's that thing that I'm ready for. And that's, that's what will bring meaning and fulfillment in my life. And we oftentimes are waiting for a significant moment that we feel is somewhere out there. We go through life and we keep thinking, well, that this next season is going to be the season. When you're in grade school, all you can think is, man... When I get to high school, greatest years of my life, let me tell you, high school is the greatest years of your life. You got a long downhill spiral <laughs> after, after 18. And then when you get to high school, you think, no, I just, if, if once I'm out of the house, out from under my parents' thumb, hard pressed, that'll be, that'll be when it's, it's great. And then you get to college and you realize you don't have any money. And so it's not that great. And you're, okay, well, when I get a job, that's, that's when life will really be about paying back this immense amount of loans that I have from college that I'm in right now. Or maybe it's the house that's next, or maybe it's the kids that are next. Then you'll be fulfilled. Maybe your, your marriage is what will bring you fulfillment. It will, it will give your life meaning and purpose. And maybe it's watching those children grow up and, and getting to experience their life with them. Maybe it's having grandkids. That's when, that's when everything will be filled, when everyone is surrounding your table at Christmas and at Thanksgiving. Maybe it's retirement, where then you can finally sit back. And as I've talked to many people over the years, the question that is often asked at that point is, where was that fulfillment I was supposed to get? I was supposed to come into. I kept waiting for the next season and the next season and seasons came and went and came and went. We go through life looking for something, whatever season that we're in, wishing the current season away, thinking it'll be better then. One day just around the corner, that something, that achievement. And while I realize that I have not lived through all the phases I just described, I've lived long enough to know that this has been a weakness in my life. Once this happens, then it'll be better. This, things will get better. They'll be what they're supposed to be. And I've noticed that for so much of my life, and I keep using that phrase, I don't know if you've heard it, but I'm using the phrase, my life, because my life is about me, my dreams, my passions, my goals, Whatever it is that I did, there's, surely God has something more in store for me next. And our culture completely supports that, right? Everything that we see, every piece of advertisement that comes our way, every commercial, every news story you read from whatever news story you so allow into your home, life's about you. Get what you want, get what you need. And we are coming into a season where that's just going to be amplified even more. The busyness of everything happening around us. This is a, the, the picture that you see is a train station in Europe. I don't know if you notice it, but in the bottom right corner, there is one woman who is in focus with everything else happening around us. This is South Broadway for the next month. <laughs> and it's so easy to lose our focus on what is of utmost importance 
Our culture says the more you gratify your desires, the more fulfilled you will be. To quote one of my favorite 2000 sitcoms in Parks and Rec, treat yourself. The problem is it is completely counterintuitive to what Jesus taught us throughout his ministry. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, don't treat yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. If you want to be my disciple, do not indulge your selfish ambitions, but deny yourself. He followed that by saying, take up your cross daily. It's a metaphor. It's a picture of the idea that each day we die to ourselves and are reborn into his desires for our life. We don't treat ourselves. We follow him and we deny ourselves. There's a verse that I kind of want to use as an anchor for our message today that comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And you'll see it on the screen. Whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do. I'm going to challenge that to go a little bit more mundane this morning because I think we allow the mundaneness to blind us to what God's purpose for our lives is. Whatever you do, whether you're doing laundry, picking your kids up from school, sitting at an event, at a practice, scrolling through your phone, or talking to another parent, running errands for your boss, engaging with friends over a meal or a young at heart event, whatever you do, we do it for the glory of God. Even the things that we feel like aren't a big deal because we do them over and over and over, that's how Satan gets us because he wears us down bit by bit by bit telling you this doesn't matter, this isn't a big deal. And before you know it, everything in your life isn't a big deal. Those big events that we're waiting for to come around the corner, those are few and far between. And it is the life that we live every day that determines who we will be when those big events come into our life. When I look at my life, if I'm really honest, the majority of the time, whatever I have done has mostly been for me. Now, I can do it and I can say it under the guise of it's what's best for my family. This is what's best for my children. And that statement may be true. But in the end, that's still for me too. Because I want that for them. It fills my heart. It gives me joy. And so it's still for me. We want to do what makes us happy. We want to do what makes us feel good. We do not seek out opportunities to be unhappy. I want to go over here and do this because I know I'm going to hate it. We don't do that. It's counterintuitive to how God programmed us to be. We want to gratify ourselves. And what Jesus said was to deny ourselves. Whatever you do to really have meaning in life, we do it for the glory of God. And so this is what I've begun to realize, that there is no next big thing. There is no grandiose, huge mountaintop that we will peek at. There is no prize that, once accomplished, will give life Spectacular meaning and value that did not exist before. The prize is what we do daily when we do it for the glory of God. Let me say that again because I really want it to sink in because it took far too long for me and I wasted far too much of my life waiting for that next mountaintop. The prize isn't what we accomplish occasionally. The prize is what we do daily when we do it for the glory of God. Because God fills us in a way that is indescribable to someone that hasn't experienced it. 
and makes no sense from the outside looking in. So I want to start with three questions and ask ourselves how we would answer these things. And it all begins with this phrase, what if? What if? So just put yourself in that mindset for just a moment. What if? What if our work is the reward? What if the work, and I know it's a, don't, nobody come up to me afterwards and like, you have an S at the end of rewards. I know, it's a mess up. I'm telling you. It's fine. Imagine it's not there. Just paint over it with your mind. It's going to happen anyway. But what if work is the reward? What if the prize that we have in this life is the process that we are filled going through life? What if the prize is in the process? And number three, how can we stay focused in the fray? In the busyness, in the, in the swarm of life around us, in, the, in a culture that tells us we have to do this, 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 and this. And if you do all these things, then maybe, but probably not, but maybe then you can be fulfilled. Maybe you'll have enough, but you probably won't. So then you have to do this, this, and this too. Our main text this morning is going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, so I want to encourage you to turn there with me if you have your Bibles. We're talking specifically about the teachings of Paul this morning. And he's being, in this passage, kind of transparent and, and, and a little bit vulnerable, letting us have a picture of, of the way he thinks and of how he sees himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called a disciple. Sorry, an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. For If you're familiar, his life before Paul was not Paul. It was the absolute opposite. It was the worst of the worst. He persecuted, and just multiply that by ten. He took people's lives. But, verse 10, but by the grace of God, he uses this phrase, I am what I am. What you see before you is because of God's grace alone. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, again, but the grace of God that was with me. I am what I am because God's grace was not without effect in my life. God's grace changed me in every way, shape, and form. And for many of us, that's our story. We weren't good. We weren't faithful. We weren't righteous But by the grace of God, we are now who we are. Not because we are good, but because he is good. And now we are becoming who he wants us to be because his grace is not without effect in our lives. God's grace changes his people. And if it doesn't, then you haven't encountered it. The sad thing is there are many who claim the name of Christ, who walk into buildings every Sunday with the word church on it, And yet God's grace has been without effect in their lives because their life has not been changed. Their heart has not been turned. But the good news is, if they're in that building, if you're in that building and you feel like maybe that's you, if you're listening or watching online, you are in the right place at the right time to be available for the work of God to do a transforming thing in your life. 
Maybe that unchanged heart story becomes a but by the grace of God story. It's what makes Paul's story so incredible. The transformation, the change from point A to point B, I cannot imagine being further. It's what, it's what gives people like me hope. And I hope it gives someone like you hope as well. Paul goes on to tell you who he is. He says, I, I worked harder than any of them, all of them. But it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me and through me. So what did Paul say in verse 9? He said, I'm not, I'm not good. I'm worse than everyone. But the grace of God transformed me. Because of Jesus, because of what he did, because of what he made possible in my life. I worked harder. I worked harder than everybody. And we hear that, and it, it sounds like what we would call today in uh, popular culture a humble brag. It's like, you know, I am an apostle, but also I worked harder than you. And on, on its face, that can seem like Paul is bragging. It can seem like he is, he is putting himself above others. And on the other side, it could, it could also look like he's putting himself down. By saying, I, I'm the least of everyone. And in, in reality, I think all that he's doing is he's just stating fact. Paul said, I have been so transformed by Jesus because of who he is and because of what he did. I just do work. I, I pursue the life, the hand that, that has been dealt to me with everything that I have. Whatever I did, whatever Paul did, he did it for the glory of God. He worked harder than all of them. And if you think for a moment the depth of sacrifice that he had to endure, it makes that statement even more true. Think of, if you're familiar, think of what Paul's story was like. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was in prison. He was bitten by a poisonous snake. Let's not forget that one. He started churches in cities where there wasn't a single Christian. It was him and him alone. He earned the right to say, I worked harder. And yet he says, none of it would be possible without the grace of God because his work in me mattered. I think if we can kind of look at it objectively when we step back, it would be easy for Paul to have wished certain seasons of his life away. To fast forward to the next one. What if when Paul was in prison, he had said, you know, one day when I'm finally out of prison, that'll be the day I can get back to the work that God, that God has for me. No, what Paul said was everything that I do in every situation that I'm in, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. So if I'm chained to somebody, I'm going to be a witness to Jesus Christ for them. You know what? I'm in jail. Can I get a pen and paper? Because I need to write the church in Philippi a letter. I'm just going to do whatever I have to do. Think about when he was shipwrecked. That would have been a good moment to kind of toss in the towel. He didn't say, I mean, I prayed. I prayed for protection and God shipwrecked me again. No, instead what he said was we didn't die. So it's time to keep going because obviously God has something more for us to do. I love his reaction to Barnabas. When Barnabas turned his back on him and, and kind of walked away, left him to his own devices. If I put that in 2022 standards, here's how it would go. Well, they were mean to me at that church. And they said, they left me, I had to go do it alone, and I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to do it alone. The difference between what he endured and what so many others endured is Paul's faith did not hinge on the faithfulness of other people, on the follow-through of others. 
He did not let bitterness fill his heart. Instead, he just moved on with the task that God had given him. He went to work. Our faith story is being written right now. What we do as believers, we are called to do for the glory of God in everything that we do. So let me challenge that for just a moment. Whether it's changing diapers, whether it's making sales calls, whether it's folding the laundry, whether it's doing something for your employer, none of those things look awesome from the outside looking in. They're, they're, they're mundane, they're, they're boring, but if we do them with integrity, with purity of heart, with the heart of a servant, then we declare in that moment that this task is now for the glory of God. I'm doing everything in my life to honor God. And when we do that, those questions that I asked earlier start to take on a different meaning. Maybe the work can be the reward. Maybe there is fulfillment. Maybe that prize can be going through the process and not waiting for the process to end, but in honoring God through it. Maybe there can be fulfillment there. There can be hope in the process. And in our everyday life, when we are grinding things out and everything just seems normal and mundane, we can focus on gratefulness, as many people did just a couple of days ago. But then Black Friday hits... And it's full speed ahead. It's easy for us to say as crew, well, we're thankful as Christians every day of the year. Are we? Are you? Do you have that conversation with God every day? It's a question only we can answer for ourselves. But it's an easy statement to make that doesn't always have the follow through that we would like it to have. I once heard of three enemies this is kind of what we're going to close with this morning. Three enemies of this reward that God has intended for us, not for when we die, but for fulfillment now. One is the pillow, this allure, this seduction of comfort. It draws us in like a really warm blanket, which was super nice this week, by the way. On a rain, like a warm blanket, a big warm blanket on a rainy we skip fall and jump straight to winter kind of day. It draws us in. It's comfort. It's what we want. It makes us feel good about ourselves in that moment. And we realize that we still have to take that blanket off and go about our life. It's a moment. It's a snapshot. It's a click. And then it's over. But again, our culture, our peers, our friends, those around us still say, Seek that. Pursue that. Look for fulfillment in that. This idea that comfort will bring fulfillment. Now, number two, this is going to hit home for a lot of people. And I actually did a sermon series on this a couple years ago. And I called it All the Shiny Things. You know what the favorite toy of a nine-month-old is? That. It makes sounds. It glitters. Some of you are looking at it right now wishing you had my keys. And you're grown adults. Want to get a little bit closer view of that. It's these, these distractions, because that's what this is. We, we used this as parents when our children needed to be brought back in. So it's a distraction. It's, hey, look, look over here. And it works. It's just that the distractions are different when we're older. But it is still things that take our focus away from where God intends it to be. It's that ding on our phone. 
When we're in the middle of something, that we're, we're engaged in a conversation where we're spending time in the Word and Bible study, and then we get a notification. And it's a text, did you see what so-and-so said? And then you see another notification, and you start scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or your preferred social media platform. And before you know it, 30 minutes are gone. Where did it go? This distraction, we, we, we get completely drawn in. Maybe it's a travel sports team Maybe it is your group of friends. Maybe it, and I don't, there's, you can insert whatever you want there, but a distraction is a distraction. And the more distractions we have, the less we have to actually really consider our own life. The third thing is this. <clears throat> it's the towel. This perpetual temptation to quit, to throw in the towel. This has just become too hard. I, don't, I, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. It's not worth my effort, especially when there's always something better around the corner. I won't put this effort into my marriage that it needs. I won't put this effort into getting myself out of debt. I can just overextend myself even more. I won't put this effort into being the kind of parent that my children need or the kind of grandparent that my children need. There's this temptation to throw in the towel and just say, I'm out. And people do it every single day. Here's the other option to the towel, though. Because towels can serve another purpose instead of just, you know, being thrown on the floor. They can be picked up, be used to wipe the sweat off our brow, and get back to work. Doing whatever we do, everything that we do, for the glory of God. And suddenly we realize that work can be the reward, that the prize can be in the process, and that we can be grateful every single day, and we can be focused amidst the busyness around us. People are always looking for their purpose in life. You hear that asked constantly. We think it's our job. It's not. We think it's our our families. It's not. We think it's our careers. We're waiting. We're hoping. We, We want that to be individual and specific to us. But the reality is, as believers, our purpose is a much more selfless thing. It's a much higher calling. And once we start to recognize this, God's purpose is your purpose. God's will for this earth is your purpose. However you accomplish that looks different than me, but the end goal is still the same. That is your purpose. That is your calling for those who have chosen to walk a life of faith. So instead of looking for this starting point of how can I find happiness, how can I find fulfillment. When we choose God as our starting point, when we, whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God, we start to realize that even in the middle of those things we may not have chosen to do, the ugly things, the diaper kind of things that don't look good from the outside looking in, even in those, God still has purpose in that moment for us and that we are doing in that moment what God has called us to. And we can do it to his glory. It may not be our favorite thing, but what is fantastic about purpose is that when our purpose becomes his purpose, passion follows it. Instead of pursuing self-centered passion, Paul pursued God's purposes. In Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says this. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, and this is that task. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. Purpose helps us feel passionate about ordinary things. Something mundane, something boring starts to take on meaning when it has purpose. So even the things that we feel like 
our everyday, our constant, our something that we just gloss over. This is the challenge I want to leave us with this morning. And I, I, want to, I always want to make it attainable because when we, we give those ideas of, well, you know, for the rest of your life, do this. I just got to get through tomorrow. I'm going to go a little bit further than that, though, because, again, if you're like me, and I can speak for Tucker, too, so I'm going to say I know Tucker as well. We love this time of year, but it's a distracting time of year because there is so much going on that we can lose our focus on who we are supposed to be. Not on the reason for the season. That's not what this moment is. This is on who you are called to be, your purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to encourage you to take on this task with me, the task you see on the screen, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. It's what Paul said was his only aim with the rest of his time he had left on this earth. God's grace is God's story lived out in your life. It's how your life has been changed and transformed. I hope it has. And if it has, how's it different? How's it better? How's God working in your life? Testifying is a really churchy word. It just means we share it. We share that message. We share our lives with other people. Pray with me, please. God, I pray that you would help us be grateful in the middle of a busy life. God, not because of who we are, but because of what you have done in us, because your grace has begun a work that has not even yet been completed, but it is not without effect, that our lives are different because of it. God, I pray you would help us, give us the strength that we need to serve you, that your grace would work through us, that it would give us the confidence and the desire to testify, to share that message, even if it's just in the most mundane of moments at the dinner table with someone, our children, our parents, our family, our friends. That story matters even to those who already know it. God, help us to testify to your good work in our life. I pray that other people would see your grace flowing out of us. And that we would not just remind others, but as Paul does, remind ourselves that it is not because of us that we can accomplish all the good opportunities that we have in this world. That even if we work hard, it doesn't matter if your grace is not what is pouring out of us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let me encourage you in the month ahead to keep your focus where God desires it to be. On those around us, on the cross, and how your life can make an impact on the lives of those around you. If there's any way that we can encourage you this morning as a church, stand beside you, walk through life with you, or help you begin a relationship for the very first time with Jesus Christ, won't you come while we stand and while we sing?